This 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 Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. This is Matt Burford. I'm here with Shannon Poe. And we have the pleasure of having uh, one of our great friends on today. In fact, there's nobody quite like this person. Um, he's half Vietnamese, half Santa Claus, right? Uh, from Pennsylvania, but is also a surfer in California. Uh, loves apologetics, specifically youth apologetics. Spent years at Stand to Reason. Now has its own apologetic organization as a master's in philosophy i mean this guy is as bad as strange and odd as you can find he's a maven he's a maven <laughs> his name is brett kunkel he's the great brett kunkel and thank you for coming on board hey thanks uh i mean I, I, that intro is just leaves me speechless but you can continue anything else that you want to say that oh there's uh... tons to say i mean i've taken you <laughs> pretty much every corner all four corners of our state and you have uh, and taking you in fact i used you at the very beginning of my ministry to the point where i didn't know how to use speakers and at some point brett said listen too much all right (laughs) well you know after after the uh, 14th talk in the same day i thought man i'm not sure i can really handle this anymore (laughs) yeah well i'll understand i mean it's It, it is what it is, but you, but you understand that that I really enjoyed what you do. I enjoy what you write. Uh, I only bring people over here that I like, at least I think I like, <laughs> until I find out later I don't like them and I don't bring them again. Uh, but you're you're one of the rare ones that I think uh, that are that are that are really good at what you do. Introduce what you're doing now. What your mission is now with with it's Maven, right? Where did you get yes. the name Maven? Maven. Well, I. Um... That was probably the most difficult part in this whole journey of starting something new. And I actually wouldn't characterize what uh, our ministry is, what our organization is as an apologetics ministry, uh, because we're a little bit broader than that. Uh, our particular audience is we focus a lot on young people and then the people who are discipling young people, because our part of our mission is to help raise up a new generation of young people who know truth, uh, but then who live that out, who pursue goodness and create beauty for the cause of Christ. So for us, it's apologetics is part of that and what we do, but it really is a little broader. It's, it's worldview-ish. We think that a lot of the challenges that young people are facing today are not your typical or your traditional philosophy of religion questions. They're not the typical apologetics questions often they're their worldview type questions where uh ha, is, is gender a social construct 
And if so, this doesn't seem to fit with what I hear at church on you know Sunday. And, uh, and, and so there's these worldview issues that end up becoming these wedge issues between a young person's faith and, uh, and then their culture or their friendships. Or... So that, that's really our mission is to help raise up a, a new generation of young people who know what they believe and why they believe it and why it matters and how it plays out in all of their life. And so we have different strategies that we do that. But those are our, our, our main audiences, young people and the people who are discipling young people like parents and grandparents and youth leaders and Christian educators. So I find this, I find this fascinating. So tell me the difference, tell me the difference between worldview and apologetics and tell me where they kind of, kind of meet together as, as helpers of each other. How do you distinguish one and the other? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think worldview is more broad, right? And, and worldview can kind of be uh, tied in for Christians to our theology. Our theology is a worldview. Uh, a worldview is simply, as as our good friend Greg Kokel uh, has defined it in his book, The Story of Reality, it's just your picture of reality. So if your worldview is your picture of reality, or it's the, it's the glasses through which you see and interpret all of reality, then it is more broad than just apologetics which is a subdiscipline of theology, which is the defense of particular aspects of you know the Christian worldview, and so I see world Christian worldview as just being this broader thing that includes apologetics, includes a defense of our theology, but also goes a lot broader in terms of informing uh, just our view of the world, and and then how we how we live that out and how that plays out in every aspect of reality so uh and so sometimes our apologetics can be more worldviewish versus kind of philosophy of religion type stuff so often in apologetics traditional apologetics we're dealing with you know various rational issues like the existence of god or the reliability of scriptures the possibility of miracles these kinds of things where I think that's good and important and vital. We need to keep doing that, absolutely, and we do. We do a lot of that. But um, I think it would also be helpful in this day and age for some of our apologetic efforts to be more worldviewish. In that, when I make a case for the uh, reality of gender being attached to one's biology, that's an apologetic in this day and age. It actually is something that would really help young people out. <laughs> um, so that's, I, I guess, how I would distinguish those things. Because that's fun. So on Sunday, I get the pleasure of, of speaking um, Sunday night on these issues of evangelism and apologetics. But <clears throat> one of the things I've been thinking about lately is just a general call to be um, significant, to be a serious Christian, to take these things seriously. Um, and what I mean by that is if you know we're called out to be an ambassador for Christ, Christ uh, is asking us to be a part of this process of bringing his kingdom here. And that means we have to be serious in all things, how we act morally, how we think, you know, our behavior, those kind of things, ethics and behavior and how we look at our work, how we look at our family, those things. I want to ask you a question about significance. I know some of our discussions before, especially when you were developing Maven, was this kind of idea of, of helping young people think about being an influencer of the world that they live in. So in other words, mm -hmm. how, how can they be significant? How can they have uh, 
positive impact for the Christian faith in the world around him. And you were you were tip of the spear on this issue. Uh, so help me out here. What, what are some things that are challenges for kids today, and, and especially Christian kids today? And what are some ways that Maven is helping train these kids to not only be better Christians, but to be very significant, serious Christians? Yeah, okay. Well, so there's a number of issues you just kind of laid out there. Let's start with the whole idea of uh, significance and influencers. Um, I, I think the first thing, one of the first things that we we want to kind of frame this conversation with is the idea that um, desiring influence and impacting the world for Christ are, these are good things. I think these are holy ambitions. Uh, but I think we also want to remember and frame this conversation with the idea that first and foremost, faithfulness is our key. Uh, that's the key thing that we focus on, faithfulness over the results or over the influence. Because sometimes uh, we, we look at the influence and we can, particularly in terms of the results that I can see, that I can tangibly measure, and when we don't see those, we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not having an influence. Uh, and, and that can be discouraging to a lot of young people. In fact, I, I, we see this when we take young people on uh, the, the kind of the unique missions experiences that we do. We call them immersive experiences. And we do training with young people. And one of the trips we take them on is a trip to Utah to help them uh, learn and understand scripture and theology better and then to have conversations with Mormons. And oftentimes students will come back after having these conversations with Mormons and they'll be very frustrated and, and even discouraged because they, they didn't see much results or influence on this particular Mormon they had a, you know, an hour conversation with. And I think they're, that sometimes our, uh, our focus can be misplaced and we focus on the influence versus the faithfulness. And oftentimes we don't, we actually can't see, this is where, so this is a, a kind of a concern I have when, as we think about influence. And again, I think a lot about this because I, I do want my life to matter for the cause of Christ. But what I have to focus on is the faithfulness, living this out faithfully. And then, and then what I, where I trust God, where my faith in God comes in is I trust him with the results and, and let him do what he will with the efforts that I've put out there. And maybe five lives are impacted, maybe 50,000 lives are impacted, but that's not up to me, that's up to God. And so as I think about influence, I think I, I always try to frame it that way. So my focus is on being faithful. And I, so that there's a lot that falls under that. I can think very carefully about how I influence uh, what's most effective and do my best to try to increase those things, but also to realize, well, the results are up to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is in all of this. So I guess that that's really how I'd want to frame a conversation thinking about influence, faithfulness first. Yeah, and this is uh, this is in a world where our kids, I mean, my, my children watch YouTube more than they watch cable, right? Uh, the, the influencers in their life are the ones that are playing video games or influencing other way i mean i was looking at the, the numbers today like pootie pie logan paul dude perfect uh dude perfect have to be christians in texas of course but pootie pie and long and logan paul you're looking at 119 million 
overall subscribers across their platforms. Logan Paul, yeah. 56 million. For somebody like my child, like Ben and, and, and my daughter Emily, uh, for them it's about clicks. It's about subscribers. I mean, they, they use that terminology. I and mean, my son wants mm -hmm. to, you know, he'll say something like, uh, you know, Ninja playing Fortnite has, you know, just made $50 million contract with, you know, going out of Twitch <laughs> to something yeah. else. To him, that's impact. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. for somebody like me, it's trying to teach him what you just said. Well, your faithful presence and what God gives you is, is kind of different. So we we define these terms differently based on um, a number of different factors. So that's something. Yeah. So that's something Maven's trying to think about, trying to be kind of the tip of the ice, uh, tip of the spear when it comes to these things. Um, yeah. And, and this is why we're we're we're, you know, our one of our focuses is on worldview. Because uh, it, it, you know, again, I tie worldview and theology very closely together. For and there's a number of worldviews out there, but for the Christian, the Christian worldview is our theology, is Christian theology. And so I think an issue like this starts with our theology. So thinking about Christian influence starts with our theology of of human nature, right, or what we call our anthropology. Uh, I think our theology or our thoughts about influence uh, also starts with our theology of ecclesiology, right? Because, I mean, the influence that the follower of Christ wants is biblical influence, which is, you know, uh, lost souls brought to Christ and the discipleship of people, uh, bringing them into a deeper knowledge uh, and faith of Christ and a life lived in obedience to him, right? So these, so... Uh, our, our anthropology, our ecclesiology, our theology of these things is the important place to start. Uh, I mean, the, the question, what does it mean to be human? What are the, you know, what are the central purposes of life? What's it mean to be free? You know, is it autonomy? Is it, is it virtue? Uh, what is, what's essential to human flourishing? Uh, what uh, you know? How how is embodiment? Um, uh, how's that essential to human flourishing? How you know these kinds of things have we we've got to do our theology of this stuff in order then to interact with these contemporary issues uh, that we're faced with, like social media, you know, influencers or YouTube or these kinds of things. Uh, so I think I think we have to, to spend some time doing our theology because then that's going to direct how we think about these things and how we help train our kids to think about these things yeah, that's good. because everyone's being catechized right the, the, the our kids are are going to be catechized uh they're either going to be catechized by our parents in the church or they're going to be catechized by the culture right the culture is always teaching always training always trying to inundate and socialize our our, our kids and if we don't purposely and intentionally do that and teach them our theology or our worldview, well, they'll, they'll just simply adopt the worlds. So I think when we think about Christian influence, it's got to start with our theology. Because I, then that's going to... Uh, go ahead. No, no, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, our theology of a human person is going to tell us what what are our goals of living in this world what are the yeah what are the the main purposes of this life what are the implications i, I keep uh, thinking about um oh what's his name oz guinness is uh at least this is the first place i heard it you know his his idea of cut flowers um and that that we're still you know at least 
at least 10 years ago, we were kind of living in a cut flower kind of era where people were disconnecting what were foundational issues for, you know, so this kind of Judeo-Christian worldview that was pretty pretty prevalent in in the United States across the board it seems like now that 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 flower is really kind of wilting you know um that that so so that basic ideas so the idea that that God created male and female were was something that kind of consciously and subconsciously energized our culture for probably 50 1500 years at least right Mm -hmm. and now we've got to this place where where people people think that that's that that's up for grabs to me you know it's hard for me to um to take people seriously whenever they tell me things like you know gender is is an emotion or it's i don't know what i you know it's not really even an emotion but it's just this fluid thing and it's all over the place whereas you know male and femaleness it's pretty biologically grounded in reality you know it's hard to get around it but yet here we are we're, we're having to have these conversations with people and um and i'm i'm sure that you're having to have well i don't know in California, are you having to have these conversations more than we're having these conversations in Alabama? I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty, um, glo- you know, this one's a pretty global conversation right now. It's uh, and that's where technology has, uh, kind of brought everyone into that conversation. So yeah, we're definitely having these conversations. Um, so, and, and I think, yeah, I think you're, I, I, I so this is why theology has got to be the starting point, especially, you know, and then of course we can talk about this in the context of influencing the culture and engaging with an unbelieving world. But one of the things that we have to do is we have to first get our own house in order. And we just have, you know, the church has got to focus on discipling its own young people. Well, it's got to, you know, we, we've got to help ground our kids first. Uh, because we're losing a lot of our own kids. Um, and so why is that in your assessment? Why are we losing a lot of kids? I mean, Pete's too many, too much pizza on, on, on Wednesday night. What is it? Oh man, that, that's a, it's a good question. I think there's probably a multifaceted answer. Uh, I think, uh, I would say, I would say several things. I, I, I certainly think that the, uh, the church's, anti-intellectualism uh and how that plays out i mean i I think that actually influences not just the fact that we can't answer kids questions and you know most kids grow up without any apologetic training that's certainly part of it but i think just our anti-intellectualism represents our distorted view of what it means to be a follower of jesus so you're and what that what that even looks like you i think there's some you talk to a lot of people obviously you're you're all over the country is that still that that anti-intellectualism that maybe i encountered as a young teenager in the baptist church in alabama you think that that is still very much kind of prevalent within 
I'm assuming the evangelical church, which is all of our kind of bailiwick, right? That's, that's where mm-hmm. we're all kind of living and breathing. I didn't mean to cut you off a second, but I, I really want to get your perspective on that. This, this Is that still an issue that people are having this kind of anti-intellectualism within the church? Yeah, I would say absolutely. <laughs> and I would say that as emphatically as I can. Absolutely. This so there, you know, there's guys like you, pockets of people in the church, and you know, those in the apologetics world, and who are having some of those conversations. We've seen the what we would call a renaissance or an explosion of apologetic resources and knowledge, and teachers and speakers and conferences and that kind of thing. But I, I think it is. Um, I think we ought to be. I don't know, I, I guess maybe a little more, maybe a, we need to do a little more honest assessment and evaluation of our influence on the broader church. Because we we have a lot of kind of conferences on our, you know, kind of our own conferences, or, um, you know, we've got books and publishers and doing stuff, but just on the church broadly, if we look at, well, well just look at some of, what are, the, what are the major church leader conferences out there? Or the major Christian conferences where thousands of people are, you know, at these things, or twenty thousand people are at these events, and then look to see where people with our voice who care about worldview and apologetics and the intellectual life of the church, see how many of them are represented in those things. Like a Catalyst conference, for instance, that might be a great place to start. Catalyst um, conference. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, so that's a, it's a major church leader conference oh, that okay. for for a while I don't know how many they're doing now, but uh, for a while they were doing uh, multiple conferences all around the country, tra- training thousands of church leaders. They would they did one here in Southern California, and you know five thousand church leaders show up for a, and it's like a three day. It's major involvement and commitment. It's I don't know almost three hundred dollars for this conference, and leaders are paying this, and and they're getting leadership training, and what is completely absent from something like that is anything that has to do with <laughs> the life of the mind yeah. and the, the intellectual foundations of, uh, of Christianity and, and things like that. So I, I think there's a number of reasons to think that the church is still very, anti- even though there's been some, some good signs and some pockets of resistance, so to speak, hmm. largely, largely speaking, I think most be, most, most churches are still very anti-intellectual. We're, we're, I think we're so anti-intellectual, we don't even know how bad it is. I yeah. think it's the shallowness, probably. That and, yeah. and, and that and you know, I, I've I don't know a lot of. I haven't traveled like you traveled. I mean, you've gone to where the hobbits are, right? And uh, <laughs> you've been to New Zealand and everywhere else. I'm just starting now, starting now to do a little bit more traveling. But I've been all over my state, so I feel like I'm a huge authority to for here. So that's faith in Alabama football, mm-hmm. right? Those are the two things I know most about. <laughs> so what I have seen is more of a, when you, when you, the anti-intellectualism, how, where does it come from? Well, it comes from, because most of our church, the Baptist churches and the other churches that I've been involved in are really more involved with felt need. I mean, yeah. it's felt need plus a God that's more therapeutic deist than it really is. Our God who is Jesus on the throne you know, sitting on the throne and in in the throne of power, and mm-hmm. he's real and is somebody that we serve. And it's so. In other words, when we go to church, even the way that w- things that are being preached and the way the worship is being catered to the people there, it's more out of felt needs. 
I div- I I open my Bible. I do a devotion, but what am what am I going to get out of it? How's this going to help my day? I mean, that's what uh-huh. I'm finding more in our churches. And what I what for the people in tactical faith, the guy that I, the guys and the gals that have gravitated themselves to our organization, the reason they're serious because they don't necessarily look at the Bible that way. It's not necessarily uh-huh. a felt need thing. Like we we that's not what our core of operation is. I mean. Our core is Jesus is our Lord, and we're going to function out of that first. Uh, but yeah. that's just what I have found here. So I'm, yeah. so well, as a parent, I'm trying to figure out ways to get them to ask the questions you asked earlier. All these questions about theology and anthropology, all these are fundamental questions that they have to ask and reflect on on their own. Otherwise, yeah. my children are just parent, they're parroting my what I've taught them, and they haven't really owned their own worldview yet. And that's what I'm well, afraid of. That so that's where I think the, the now the foundation is teaching them the worldview. It's teaching the what. So when our kids are younger, when they're in elementary school and kindergarten and even before that, I think a lot of our focus is on teaching the what. That's our theology. Uh, the, the the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his attributes, the the work of Christ on the cross, the atonement and you know, all the rich theology there and 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 what it means to be human. So we're teaching that stuff. So it's kind of like we're pouring that truth into them. Now they don't understand it all at that point. That's okay. Uh, and so one of the things we've done with our kids in order to help teach them theology is we've done some catechism with them. Uh, and, and catechism is just this basic kind of Q and A that teaches theology. And, uh, you know, so when our kids are three years old, they're reciting catechism that has to do with Trinitarian doctrine, but they don't, they don't necessarily know it or, uh, or understand it all. And that's okay because we're going to keep building on that. So by the time they're in fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade and junior high middle school, that's when you're adding, you, you definitely need to add the, the why behind that so that it doesn't just become, well, this is what mom and dad taught. And then I'm just going to parrot what they taught. But now I'm going to add to it the why, and I'm going to help give them the reasons that they can own this stuff for themselves and not just because mom and dad said so. Because this, these reasons why or this justification don't stand or fall on whether or not mom or dad said so. They, they stand on or fall on, you know, with the, the rules of rationality and, and logic and, and truth. And uh, so I think that's why we have to add not just the what, but the why to it, to help really lay out for them a, a good theology that's going to direct their life. And look, if people, uh, let me, uh, two things here. If people want to uh, understand how bad it is, I would encourage you at your church on Sunday or with some of your youth or just ask some Christians the question, what does it mean to be human? And I And I think... Most Christians are, 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 number one, if they give an answer, it's going to be a really shallow kind of cliche answer. Number two, they're going to struggle with that. They're not going to really understand even how to answer that question. And I think that will reveal to us how bad it is, how, how anti-intellectual we are, how little we know about theology, that many Christians can't even answer the question, what does it mean to be human? Mm. And I've done, I've done this with, as I travel and I speak, I've done this with youth groups. I've done this with kids who have grown up in the church. I ask them, you know, what does it mean to be human? And they look at me with a, a, a blank stare on their face because they're not even sure how to even answer that question. 
And, and and look, if we don't know what it means to be human, if we don't have a good theology of human nature, we're in trouble. We aren't going to know then how we should function, how we should live. Uh, what what are the central purposes of life? So that's one thing to do to to, to help wake us up to how bad it is. Those are good questions. Well, um, and that's that's the fun part of worldview because you're not just saying it impacts a person; it impacts your family, it impacts your community. And it impacts oh, yeah. the nation, and it impacts the world. It seems I like think. we major on the minors a lot, though, which is where, I guess, apologetics can get kind of funky because some people consider apologetics to be, you know, these very specific questions that the culture has left <laughs> and walked away from years and years ago, you know? And so while some of those things might be important, you know, it doesn't seem like that's 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 not the itch that that they have at the moment, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a good point, Shannon. That's why it's so important for us to be in constant dialogue with non a uh, non-believing world. Mm. And uh, when we just when we simply have conversations within the walls of the church, so to speak, with other Christians, we can easily lose touch with the kind of conversations that are happening out there. And so we're either answering questions they're not asking we're, or we're talking about questions they don't even care about. And, you know, and sometimes there's, you know, there's, there's value in studying an issue uh, very carefully uh, and going into the nuances of different positions and that kind of thing. But we don't may, we, we shouldn't major on that stuff. And uh, so uh, this is where it's, it's even important in our, this is why I think, again, theology is so foundational because it's, it will help us to ask, the most foundational important questions and then that frames everything else so as we talk about christian influence or as we talk about technology or we talk about vocation all of that is framed by our theology and it helps us to make sense of those issues so i clearly our culture are asking these questions our culture is asking what does it mean to be human um and the answers are scary, right? They, the, 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 the culture has no idea what human nature is. It's, it's saying, hey, make it up. It's whatever you determine it to be. If you want to be a man, you can be a man, even if you're a biological woman and so forth. And uh, so our, our culture is having this, this conversation. These are the questions that are being asked in the culture. And if we in the church haven't worked this out, how are we going to help the culture? And that's why, like, when it comes to these issues of, of like, sexuality and, and gender, uh, when I talk with youth leaders around the country, they're, they're kind of like deer in headlights. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to equip their kids. They, they want help. They're desperately needing help. But often they just succumb to, uh, you know, the cultural narrative on this because they, they, don't, they can't even answer the question of what it means to be human. And that's why we use you, and that's why we bring you to Alabama and uh, have brought you to Alabama in the past, and we're bringing you again February the 24th. Uh, of course, this is with my day job at the Alabama Baptist State Board. Um, we're going to bring you for a conference, and then uh, hopefully we're going to bring you back again for uh, a TF conference that's coming soon uh, that we'll talk to you about and get on. We have to get on uh, your schedule early now because you're, you're, you're a popular dude. So uh, tell tell listeners your ways to get your information, like your website. Uh, tell them uh, anything else that you want to you want to express and talk about your your ministry or, and promote. 
Yeah, well, our, we have two target audiences. It's the next generation, uh, young people, junior high, high school, college students. Um, but then the second uh, audience that we go after are the people influencing young people. So the parents, the grandparents, the Christian educators, the youth worker, the Sunday school teacher, uh, the homeschooler. And we are uh, we're developing online resources. In fact, we've, we've got a couple We've got three parent uh, Maven parent podcasts that have been recorded, and we're about to release those cool. because we think parents are, you know, we, we just hear a lot of parents asking for help in trying to parent and disciple their kids in this cultural moment. So we've got different resources like that. We do live events. We've got a Maven conference that we do here in Southern California uh, next February. We're doing that actually right after your conference out there. Um, where uh, we take a theme or a challenge or issues like next year it's on technology. How do you help kids navigate a world of screens? How does that influence their, you know, the spiritual life? How, you know, those kind of things. Um, and then we do these, uh, these immersive experiences, which are just utterly unique, but we, we train kids in apologetics or theology or worldview, and we take them on a week-long experience where they get to actually see that kind of stuff lived out in real life and uh, get it out of the classroom and into into a real life conversation so um but anyway people can go check out our website and find more information about maven the website is maventruth.com great well that's why we love you and that's why we enjoy uh speaking with you and talking with you and sharing your resources and getting you into the state and hopefully we can get you uh and you did a southern conference right somewhere in mississippi last year yeah we we did we did our first um uh maven student conference down there yeah we interviewed and, uh, we didn't get to interview you but we interviewed your wife yeah, and that we was interviewed better. a bunch of other people <laughs> oh well, yeah she's away hopefully she's a way can, we can we can do that again in the south and and promote and become one of your partners and uh we look we we pray for you often and your in your organization uh, we love what you're doing We're big supporters of maven big supporters of the kunkels and thanks for coming on yeah. Hey, can I say one thing kind of in, kind of to conclude that conversation about influencers? Sure. Because um, I thought I thought this would kind of maybe kind of tie it up with a bow because I, I think we talked, you know, I mainly talked in generalities in terms of developing a theology of, of, of human nature and of the church. And this is I think the, the second key issue is is really developing our ecclesiology, because what what that will tell us is. Uh, you know, how is discipleship to be carried out? What's the proper context for discipleship? And as a follower of Jesus, as I think about influence, that's the kind of influence that Jesus talks about. Go and make disciples, right? So, so we have to think about the nature of the church and our theology of the church, because I think what we'll discover, and this will then inform things like, you know, influencers in the culture or social media influencers and how we view that stuff but i think as we develop our uh, ecclesiology as we develop our theology of the church we find out that uh based upon what it means to be human and how humans are relational beings and we're soulish beings and we're made in god's image that the deepest and most profound influence is done through face-to-face life on life uh, work. And so this is where like things like technology and social media 
YouTube. They, certainly we can use those for godly purposes, for spiritual purposes, but they're enhancements, but they can never be replacements. And so as we think about influence, we have to realize that influence in the context of the church, in discipleship under Jesus and with one another as co-disciples of Jesus is always face-to-face. It's always embodied, right? Hey, you may watch a worship service online and that's great, but that can never replace actually being in a worship service with other men and women in uh, in a local context. Uh, and this, this, is, this has to be embodied. Uh, so, but again, those insights come from our theology. And so, and, and, and you think about it, think about the nature of this kind of influence, life on life, face to face, over time, right? It's slow, it's steady. Uh, it's, it's, it's not always worried about efficiency as we often are you know, so focused on in our, you know, in our technological age. There's gonna be smaller numbers there's only so many people I can influence face to face and be involved in their life, you know, so there'd be smaller numbers. So actually what that does is that mitigates against the, the celebrityism of our current culture. Hmm. It, it mitigates against us putting too much uh, emphasis on being a social media influencer. It helps us not to hold those people up in some improper light. Right, and uh, it helps us to see quality uh, is is more important than quantity. Right. The, well, the number of followers I have on Instagram really isn't a good indication of the depth and breadth of my influence uh, and my discipleship on people. Right. So, technologies trade on these kind of numbers. How many likes did my Facebook post get, or how many? followers do I have on Instagram or Twitter? Or how many people retweeted this? Uh, how do I maximize all, you know, these kind of things? Um, yeah, that, that stuff's not as important when we think about what it means to be human and how discipleship happens and, uh, uh, and, and really a, developing a theology of the church. So I wanted to say that just to say that's how our theology then informs thinking about something like social media influence. And, uh, and so then all those insights too will then help us to think about how we use and harness technologies and social media and, and all of these things also for, for the good and for the, for the cause of Christ because they can be harnessed in really good ways. Like we're doing right now, podcasting in, you know, having to do an interview when I'm, you know, thousands of miles away. So, yeah, this was just a veiled attempt for us to pay you to come over here again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I'm hey. always fine with veiled attempts to pay me. Hey, I, I, we, I enjoy what you said mostly because when I brought you over here, sometimes we'd have about three people at one of our events. So <laughs> <laughs> this is what I told myself. We, <laughs> you know? we laid a, we laid a foundation in those early days. Yes, now look we did. where you're at. Faithful remnant. Yeah, look where I'm at. Uh, well, thank you again, and uh, again, we, we, we enjoy what you do, and very big supporters, and hopefully we can have you back on. And for those, for a new thing that I want to do before we end, if I, I want to give a Chesterton, a little Chesterton quote to end Tactical Faith. And I like this one. He says, the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. Great Chesterton quote. 
and uh, thank you for coming on board with Tactical Faith. Thank you for um, listening to the Tactical Faith podcast. You can get us, um, you can get these podcasts wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can go to www.tacticalfaith.com. I'm only doing this because our graphics and marketing guys in front of me. Otherwise, I don't usually do this at the end of our podcast. But uh, come on tacticalfaith.com, see what we're doing. We are going to look forward to having Brett here. If you want more information on Brett, and when he's coming and people like him that are coming, then give me uh, an email, info at tacticalfaith.com. And God bless. Uh, thanks again, Brett. Yeah, good talking to you guys.